Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, and hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Return of the Show. I am Ben, and I'm with my co-host, Alex, for the last and final episode of The Last of Us Season 1, Look for the Light. And wow. This is... I I just want to say, as this being my first time actually going through the story, again, I had not watched the game. I had not played the game. This... This was something special, and I completely get why this story 10 years later is so pertinent and, like, still a major piece of conversation. It's so impactful. Um, Yeah, it's just an incredibly human moral quandary where you kind of see 
why every side is right, which makes it worse. It's so much harder to kind of (laughs) deal with. And that's why I think it really sticks with you. I feel like it's definitely one of these like brilliant pieces of storytelling. Um, And it's funny because the way that it's set up, it flows into its next story so well with The Last of Us 2 and part two, excuse me. And I know enough about that story to be able to comment on that. And I will say In order to be able to talk about this at full, we are going to have a spoiler section of this at the end of the episode so that we can talk freely about the actual impacts that this episode has going forward, as well as the really nicely woven together narrative threads of themes Mm -hmm. and character work that just persist throughout the entire thing. Um, Yeah, this this is just a brilliant piece of storytelling Super excited about it, and uh, I, I guess we're going to talk about Joel. We're going to talk about the decision, but first we got to at least start with probably my favorite cameo that I've ever seen, and um, the, the actual sort of birthplace of Ellie, Ashley Johnson, and that entire scene in the beginning. I, I knew that she was going to be in it. They didn't keep it a secret on IMDb, but the way that they were able to give her just such an important role. And also you can hear, like, I didn't realize this. Ashley Johnson's voice is just Ellie's voice. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so much like her. So, (laughs) I mean, really good on the production team for bringing in so many people from the game to be part of the show. Um, And they kind of talk about this in the post episode, little talk back, um, or well, actually not. No, I watched, what is it? Sony, uh, creator to creator. And they talk about how so many people who worked on the show crew wise were like very big fans of the game and how beneficial that was. Um, but then obviously casting wise, there were quite a few people from the game in the show and it, you know, it just lends a lot of extra layers to the acting. I feel I mean, this is a show that, like, it feels like it's a passion project on the fact, on, like, when you take a look at who was working on it. But it doesn't feel like a passion project in the fact that it's um, just really good, really well produced. (coughs) It's not, um, it's not holding itself over in the show. It's not like high on its own stuff like you would expect a number of other sort of like more passionate projects to be it knows what it is it has perfect respect for the craft and perfect respect for the story without being high and mighty about itself if you Mm -hmm. will it it doesn't feel like a Zack snyder film is what this is is what that's boiling Mm -hmm. down to Mm -hmm. like there's never a moment where it feels like intellectually it's trying to be above the audience it is on the other end, executing a very just intricate and complicated thematic story and doing it at a point where I feel like it's digestible for most people. Obviously, a lot of people have taken sides throughout it, but God, and and now we're getting ahead of ourselves to like the actual core of the story because I'm just that shook. I watched the episode maybe like an hour or two ago and I'm, I'm still just reveling in it at this moment. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because it was a, you know, runtime of 55, which really was probably 45 when you take in, like, all the stuff at the beginning and the end. Yeah. I mean, it felt, 
I would say it almost felt rushed. I think they could have made this episode a little bit longer, but I mean, it flew by. It felt like it was 15 minutes long. Agreed. I think the the thing is that like a lot of the story beats that they had to go through for this episode were really simple. I mean, yeah. it, it, the entire thing with um, Anna Williams, Ashley Johnson's character, I feel like that was the most appropriately slow-paced section that we were able yeah. to get. Um, the, the entire scene of her running in, she's going to the Firefly encampment, no one's there, and of course, she gets bit while giving birth to a baby, which, what a concept for how a immunity could have happened. And yeah. It kind of goes down to uh, something that gets uh, very nicely bookended. She tells a lie that has a major impact on the rest of the story because she's like, hey, I cut the umbilical cord before I before I was bit. My baby don't got yeah. none of that virus. If Which they- is obviously false. And I think also is kind of like the main driving theme for the story is how much love makes you move forward and do good things and how many bad things you're also willing to do for love. Yeah. Because in reality, she's putting everybody else at danger or in danger, you know, because the baby could be infected and that's, (laughs) I mean, that's a shitty situation for all of them. Like, um, and that's just like a major theme and I, I would say it comes up in almost every episode of the duality of like what love will make you do. Yeah. And I, I that's very intentionally designed, absolutely. The thing for me that like sticks with it is like later in the episode, of course, Joel lies to Ellie about what he did. And it's the idea of this lie that's very selfish. She wanted her child to live even the, putting everyone else at danger. He wanted her to live and her to be okay with what happened. So he lies as well. And of course, these lies end up having further consequence. Uh, obviously, she stays alive, but they don't know exactly how the virus took hold in her. They don't know like how to potentially recreate the situation. With And it's, it's a horrible idea, but I'd imagine if you had an idea of, oh, if we expose a baby to this via potentially the umbilical cord perhaps there's a way for us to gain immunity that's something that if people knew about potentially ellie wouldn't have needed to been chopped open in order to figure out her secrets yeah i mean that that uh kind of also gives the implication like what are they going to start testing on pregnant women and babies which I, I it's funny because there was someone on Reddit who was basically saying, "Well, why wouldn't they do that if they're willing to just kill this little girl?" Yeah. Which I I I think this uh this story really brings up your own personal moral map and what you think of as worth a sacrifice or what's right and what's wrong, and it's very different for everyone because I think Shit, like, I don't agree with that statement necessarily, but I don't think she's, like, wrong in saying that. Like, I get why she's saying it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it, I, it's crazy. (laughs) So I guess let's, before we talk, we're probably going to go on a very long existential crisis about that, but maybe we should talk about (laughs) 
<laughs> the rest of the episode. Yeah. First. Okay. Let, let, let's go into the rest because uh, it's so difficult because the way that this episode is woven, everything comes back to what happened with Joel, where our moral standing is. So yeah, we're going to touch back on it. Um, so uh, yeah, um, let, we'll just pick up with Ellie. And uh, Ellie is uh, understandably a little disassociated after last episode's events. We've uh, yeah, talked- she's still she's still definitely having a trauma response, even though it seems like it's been quite a few months. Um, I, I she's traumatized, yeah. obviously. I mean, that kind of sticks with you. And I, I'd imagine they haven't seen other people since then. She's going to be mm-hmm. extremely on her guard. And really, this is the only time we really spend with Ellie up until the end of the episode is these little fleeting moments. Uh, Joel being understandably worried for her and like doing his best, like, I'm her dad. I'm going to take care of her. I'm checking in with her. And uh, of course, it's like we get this very sweet moment of reprise where... um we actually see the giraffe found out not a cgi giraffe i thought it was a cgi giraffe that it's not it looks cgi i so what it is is the head of the giraffe was real the body was composted um but the actual head the part that they were interacting with was real yeah it was like there were definitely parts where it looked more cgi than others um like, there's one part where it was taking something out of her hand, and I'm like, no, this looks real. Yeah. So it was. So, yeah, it was really good VFX work as far as that that was done. Um, but, like, we get yeah. that. Fleet- and it was definitely something a lot of people who had played the game were looking forward to, and we're really hoping that you got to see a giraffe, because it is a turning point um, for Ellie's character. Just, like, a little glimmer of hope and happiness kind of in this absolutely shitty situation yeah i mean i'd argue that it takes her completely out of that really horrible moment just enough time for joel to have a more serious conversation with her which is what they needed and unfortunately Joel's yeah it's almost like it's almost like you know they're she's just experienced like a constant barrage of like the absolute worst of humanity. And there's still some things in the world that like you don't know what's going to happen in a good way. Like there are still things to look forward to and to surprise you in life. Which, of course, kind of gets into the main point of Joel's thing. And honestly, the main point of the show, this is going to be a very circular conversation. Um, yeah. And not, and not that we're going to be repeating things. There's just a lot of things really do come back to these final moments with Joel and these main thematic elements of the show is Joel ends up having that conversation with her of like, I tried to kill myself and it didn't take. And eventually I didn't want to kill myself. And of course, Ellie interprets this initially as like, oh, time heals all wounds. And we get this very read in between the lines, although both characters kind of get it. It wasn't time that did it. And it goes into this idea, which I think is honestly the main theme of the show and something that Joel has kind of hearkened on, repeated over and over again. is something that he actually as a main character understands, which is very rare um, that finding new people that you love is a reason to go on even when the world is horrible. Finding love and doing anything for love is something that can get you through the worst of times. And it like the show, I don't want to say it hits you over the head with this, but 
it's there. And it, it's never like at the point where I'm like, oh my God, shut up about love. But which is one of the reasons why I think this is very well executed. But it is just very consistently something that we are told and that I feel like we understand about where Joel is, but Ellie hasn't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, and I mean, I think up to this point, these two characters really clam up about their emotions. So this is the first episode where we really get to see them discuss openly with each other how they feel. And they each kind of have this, like, confession moment to each other. Um, and it's it, so we see it with other characters and kind of through flashbacks, but it, they're never really saying it to each other. So in all honesty, it's like a huge character development moment for them to be able to speak openly. Yeah, and I, I think that's a part of the fact that it, season one and part one are the essentially Ellie and Joel actually becoming a family and Mm -hmm. they're realizing things. And obviously this is the part where I think it actually becomes obvious in hindsight. Um, Minor spoilers for uh, part two, that Ellie will become more of a main character as opposed to a, um, as opposed to playing sort of second fiddle to our POV protagonist, Joel. And that is mostly based around the fact that, in character writing, when you have a thematic element or a controlling idea, which what we've just discussed as a theme is much closer to, which is essentially the big theme that governs your story, your main character should not understand it. Your main character's point of growth has to be learning these thema- it has to be learning the theme that you're exploring. Um, there's an idea that your main character, a lie that they tell themselves, is essentially something that goes directly against the positive attribute of your theme or controlling idea. Um, so they have to sort of live somewhat against it. And I'll be going, I'm not going to be able to talk about this at full until we start going to the spoiler section. But the fact that Ellie doesn't quite understand this, I feel like is a really good way of indicating this is going to be a character that has a lot more growth to do and will become the true catalyst for the story at some point. Um, Because obviously we're not done with her. We got another season. Seasons. Seasons. I, 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 I'm like, is part three going to be announced? Like, when is that happening? (laughs) It's, that's the interesting thing about this too. It seems like we might get a part three. Um, And, I I mean, I love the idea of them developing a part three to the game while they're developing the shows. I mean, they've said in interviews the part two is going to be more than one season. They're not saying how many, um, but it is going to be more than one. So I'm sure they're taking that into account when they develop the story for part three. I'm yeah. super, super excited about it. Um, okay, we got to get into the meat and potatoes. Um, I, I don't think there's any beating around the, around the bush on this. But for recap, Joel finds out that is, he's got two choices. Um, let Ellie die and save the world or kill everyone in the hospital and get Ellie. Yeah, and this is the part of the episode to me that felt a little bit rushed because I think we could have spent a little more time seeing the Firefly POV. Um, I think it would have also helped the case if we knew more about the doctor. Um, because 
we'll talk okay, about that later. Here's my I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh my things for like why Joel is right. So first of all, <laughs> Marlene really fucked up by like she rushed that whole situation, which in her defense, I don't think she's expecting that Joel now thinks of Ellie as like his daughter. Uh, she's still under the impression that like she's just cargo. Um, and so that's all rushed. Sends him out with two guys, which just uh, feels like a classic like video game. Oh, I'm going to send this guy, this crazy guy out with only two guys uh, to deal with him. him. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, it. so he doesn't have time to sit with the kind of gravity of the situation. He can really only react to it emotionally. Um, and then also, like, this doctor, did he go to medical school before <laughs> the pandemic? Or, like, all of this started happening? Um do we even know that what he's going to do has even a chance to really work? Why aren't they just taking a biopsy of brain tissue? Like, there's a lot of things that I think emotionally don't really change, like, the character's perspectives. But just realistically, like, they can take a biopsy of that's kind of where brain. I would maybe just start with a little bit of blood. And I think also the flip side of that is Marlene is like, I don't want her to be scared. I want her to go out as peacefully as possible. But at that point you are removing, um, you're doing something that is going to make Joel instantly your enemy. And the fact that you didn't give Ellie a choice. Um, and didn't give them a chance to say goodbye either, which yeah. would have, um, I think, you know, it could have maybe gone differently if they were able to have a conversation about it. But at the end of the day, Ellie is also 14, so adults are going to make decisions for her. Yeah. Um, like, I don't, like, I really don't think Marlene is a bad person for doing what she did. And it's, they make it very clear, like, it's not something that's easy for her. But in her eyes, she's doing something that could save humanity. Yeah. I think um, it, it's difficult because I am with you. I do think that I here's the thing the, the entirely up to this. I've been like s watching conversations online of like, oh, they could have never made a cure. They're disorganized. They are definitely seen as terrorists. No one would trust them. And I'm like, these things are all well and good. But if a cure was made, it would still exist. That is something that like even if they weren't able to do it themselves, Eventually, Fedra probably would have gotten their hands on it and yeah. would have figured out what was going on. And honestly, I would trust the Fedra scientist way more <laughs> than the actual um, than the others, um, the fireflies. Yeah, because that at that point, it goes above any sort of political discourse that they have with yeah. each other. You know, they still have. No matter what side you're on, everyone still has the common enemy of this infection. Yeah. Um, and here's the other thing. the it, What's taken out by everyone in this situation, Marlene and Joel, is Ellie's ability to make a choice. Mm. And it's very much hinted at what she would want, but she's never given that option. 
That is, which I think kind of is the biggest point. Like, really, what would she want? Yeah, that is exactly my issue with this on both sides, and it because it this entire situation would have been avoidable by giving her agency, because Joel would have had to at least come to terms with the fact that he would have to respect it. And if he saved Ellie in that situation, Ellie would have been, if not outright hating him, um, at least extremely displeased. And that's probably an understatement. But the fact is, is that in that moment, she, she didn't consent to any of that. She didn't know what was happening. And from Joel's perspective as a father... Uh, is just like, you're just going to kill this child. She had no say in what's going on. Of course, I'm going to run in and save her. Now, I don't necessarily think that he was thinking about her ability to consent and make a choice with this. Because I do think that, like Ashley Johnson's character, Anna Williams, he was acting selfishly. He did not want to lose a daughter. And it's great because we can see where all these things are coming from. But the fact is, is like he did something that was ultimately extremely selfish. And yeah, and I th- I think they did a really good job at the first time he even it even crosses his mind is when Marlene confronts him in the parking garage, and I felt like Pedro Pascal did such a good job. I just feel like I saw that thought float across his face. Like <laughs> I think she w- she would be willing to sacrifice her life for this cause. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just they do it in such a bad way. Like, what, you know, like, why don't they run blood tests first? And because slow process. Yeah. I know. It's like, uh, I think coming to the, you know, coming to the conclusion herself would have such a good dramatic payoff as well of like, oh, well, we think the last thing, we think the only thing that would work would be you know, slicing up your brain. And, and growing these additional cure fungi yeah, which, like, out of it. Ugh. Even when you think about it, like, the reality is you don't fucking use every part of your brain. They could take a chunk out and she would be <laughs> fine. <laughs> Obviously not speaking as a medical professional, but there are people that have, like, brain injuries or things like that that go on to live full yeah. lives. So... Yeah, that's the the thing where I'm like, ah, that it's what's so hard. And again, like we're talking over and over about it because it's it's such a dilemma, and no one's wrong and no one's right. It's just awful. It's, it's I was also thinking about the fact of like, what does this world even look like if they do have a cure at this point? Because it's never gonna go back to how it was before. You've had multiple decades of complete societal collapse. It's not like people are just going to come together in governments again. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, so this I actually have thought about. And um, even though I said, like, oh, Fedra could easily make it and then mass produce it, and they have all the power to do so, I don't think Fedra would be a great move because obviously we have established that they are at least depending on what zone they're in control of they are semi-fascist um it's interesting because something that uh doesn't come up and i don't know if this wasn't well researched or 
if this was talked about at all, but the internet itself actually was created as a way for um, governments to be able to talk to each other, specifically the United States government to be able to talk to itself um, if there was ever a nuclear disaster and an apocalypse happened. Um, and obviously the internet has been created at this point. That was its first uh, sort of connection. So if this world still has some form of global communication that just is accessible by Fedra, they could coordinate and get this thing out in time. Um, the only issue with that I mean, is Fedra would like to use that yeah. for their own gain, and they would still keep the power system that supports them. Yeah, I mean, realistically, I don't think there's any way to communicate with other parts of the world outside of radio. radio. And, I mean, I don't know if, you know, there's any uh, satellite dishes that are probably still in orbit that you could hack onto. But just, like, realistically, it's like there's no – everything has decayed so much at this point. I, I think the 20-year – time forward leap really adds such an amazing element to this game of like the world has decayed so much just like the physical things in the world have decayed so much um it it just does add another element of like bleakness (laughs) because it it does feel like the world is never going to go back to how it was before it's just been too long and it's just been at this point now the people who are going to be the muscle have only ever known this world. Yeah. You know, it's been 20 years. Everybody who's like an older teenager or younger, maybe they were born before it, but don't have that many memories. Like this is the only world they've known. It's interesting because I think if we're still on the subject of like what would happen with this, it, when, once a cure is created, you have suddenly this really powerful thing in the political ecosystem of the world after the infection, which is that people will flock to whoever can cure them and whoever can mm-hmm. give them what they what they need to not be turned into a ghoulie, not be turned into an infected. So honestly, I feel like from the Firefly's perspective, and I don't know if this is ever expanded upon in the second game or pretty much anywhere else, but if you were to create the cure, you would su- suddenly the Fireflies would have this massive leg up on Fedra in the actual civil war that they're fighting. So it's also this additional moral quandrum if you are entertaining this thought experiment of, okay, we have the cure, but now it may just be leading to more death and violence via the civil war that would persist after the fact. Um, Cause again, they are now creating a new power dynamic within this entire area. And this is probably not too related to the main themes, obviously of love, but it does go into the problematic area of is anything even worth it at this point? Like we're already in the apocalypse um, and while this could do a lot of good, it could also do a lot of harm. So it, there is no right answer. That's yeah. just a thought that crossed my mind. Um, it's, it's really just, it creates a struggle. And I, whenever we're asking if Joel did the right thing, I, I can't say yes or no, but I can say that he did things that are going to affect his life the people around his lives and the world going forward. 
Yeah. And I, you know, it's beautiful because it's also something that he clearly, I mean, immediately is still grappling with. Something can seem right in the moment. And then upon looking back, you're like, yeah, maybe this was not the best call. But I mean, will Joel ever regret what he did? I don't think so. And I get why, (laughs) you know, like at the end of the day. I think he saved his daughter. And I think if at some point she's going to learn the truth and she'll make decisions based off of that, whether or not it's to try and make the cure again or to just live out her own life, that's going to be up to her. Um, But the fact is that she wasn't presented that choice and he did what he had to do in that moment. Now, was lying a good idea to her? No, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. And it, you know, it's, um, you know, she is 14, but at the end of the day, she's lived a a pretty full fucking life at this point. Full is in like full of shit. Um, so, (laughs) uh, like just full of the worst shit. And, you know, I think you see in his mind the like, this is a kid and I'm going to protect her. But that's not like, that's not being being very truthful to the actual situation. Because you're looking at like a once in a lifetime situation. Yeah, I think um, now because we've been kind of beating around the bush on a couple things. And in order to discuss this at full, we're now going to go into our season two spoilers section of this and or part two last of us part two you're right i don't know because you and i know different (laughs) things about part two we have to talk about all of this and um we're gonna go so some light spoilers ahead because i have not played part two or watched it i just have kind of like read the general plot and i know ben knows some plot points as well so Oh. oh yeah i can't escape um gameplay kips from the second game on tiktok it's impossible Yeah, probably because it is just, it came out more recently, but. uh, Yeah. Um, Okay, so first of all, uh, I guess we should start off with, um, don't kill the doctor. Yeah, that was like, (laughs) 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 damn, you're like, oh my God. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's going to come back and bite him. Yeah, for sure. Mostly, we're we're not going to go into The only specifics that I can give for it is um, honestly the next most important character whose voice actress actually did have a cameo in this as well. The character of Abby, also played by Laura Bailey. And I know that everyone that's listened from uh, our Vox Machina coverage and Critical Role coverage knows both Ashley Johnson and Laura Bailey very well. Um, But Laura Bailey played Abby, which is the antagonist and a point of view character for the second game. Um, yeah, and I mean, when you learn the story, she's she's not really an antagonist. No. That, and that is obviously the beauty of this game. And and the, the show, too. They really did such a good job to humanize everyone so that you get everyone's perspective. Um, except the cannibals. They're, they're pretty <laughs> firm on, like, no, these people are pretty fucked up. Um, there's, you know, there's a little bit of gray area in there, but mostly they're fucked up. Uh, but yeah, because Abby's dad was the surgeon that was going to perform on Ellie. 
And she comes back for revenge, which is a big part of part two. Yeah. Um, like how how your love for someone else can turn into your so, ability to seek revenge. This is actually what makes The Last of Us Part Two a completion, uh, at least thematically speaking, of the story. And um, the, I'm going to go into, uh, we've been talking about themes, and I've alluded to the idea of controlling idea a little bit throughout this. And uh, our Attack on Titan listeners will know what I'm talking about. But controlling idea is essentially your main theme. It is the thing that everything sticks together. You may have other themes that orbit and come together. And it, some of that, like a theme in this is the fact that not every decision can be done correctly. However, the controlling idea is this idea of a finding love and doing anything for love, even in your darkest moments. And ex- through exploring this controlling idea, we both explore the beautiful things that love can do and the really terrible things that love can do. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, so this is a term that's coined by Robert McKee. This is something that he explores very, very well. But when you're breaking down a controlling idea and specifically the way that it plays with antagonism, you have four things. Um, so you have what's called the positive, which is the good thing in your controlling idea. And it, that is the idea that you're doing something for someone that you love. And that gives you the ability to go through with things. This is something that we clearly see with the entire story arc with Joel and then this is something that we see over and over again with little minor characters. So um, we see it with Sam. We see it with uh, we uh, we see it with Tess, and it's something that Joel is acutely aware of at the beginning of the story. Then there's this thing called the contradiction, um, which is the opposite of that, and that is instead of love, what if it's hate that's driving you forward? And we see this. Actually, I think in this season, only explicitly with the character of Kathleen. So with the character. Yeah, but it's hard, too, because it's like she uh, She I loved someone. I really like that episode. I felt like we could have spent a lot more time. Not really, but like it, it was very interesting because it's like somebody who was moved forward by trying to like seek revenge, but then also finds out at the same time, like. I'm actually, like, good at at being a leader, and, like, I want to do this. Yes. Um, But that's the thing. It was her hate that gave her a reason to move forward. It was her hate that broke down that, um, uh, that containment zone or and liberated that section from Fedra. It was her hate that gave her a new reason to live. And yes, she ended up being blinded by it at the end and making bad Mm -hmm. decisions. Mm -hmm. But it it brought out a part of her that was actually good at what she was doing, which is the reason why it very thoroughly fulfills this requirement. So then there's this other element, which I actually think belongs to the cannibals, but it also thematically would have belonged to Joel before he met Tess and uh, like in this interim before becoming friends with Ellie, which is the contrary. And this is an indifference to the um, this is an indifference to the positive element of the controlling idea. So Joel it doesn't care about Ellie in the beginning, and then he has to learn to love Ellie, and then he loves Ellie, and then he's thoroughly sitting in this positive idea of Ellie is family. He loves her, and he'll do anything for her. Um, meanwhile, in the contrary, he was just coasting. He was depressed. Things were going bad. Um, and with the cannibals, you can see this because. 
even though we get this weird thing from David of just like, I love my flock, we we know that that's hollow. He doesn't actually yeah. love those people. He loves the attention for himself and the power that that brings him. And ultimately, this is the thing that causes that entire um, that that entire cult to fall apart and resort to cannibalism because he's doing such a bad job. He's so concentrated on himself. And this is also kind of where Ellie is in the beginning as well. And this is um, like we see her kind of going into this moment with um, I'm forgetting the name of her girlfriend, her best friend. Um, Riley. Uh, Riley. Yeah, we see her going into this moment with Riley um, where she is about to be thoroughly existing in like I do things for the people that I love. But then that's taken away from her. So she ends up sitting in this contrary area where she's just in a bad place. And then finally, something that we haven't seen yet, but exists thoroughly in the second game, is the idea of the negation of the negation. Um, And this is when a character does something to fulfill the positive idea, the controlling idea. Joel, right now in this episode, is doing something for the person that he loves. But unfortunately, in doing so, he creates someone that hates him that will then go track him down and kill him. And then that's going to thrust and he's creating a character that lives for revenge in Abby. Yeah. And then because he created a character that lives for revenge in Abby that will eventually murder him eventually our main new main character in Ellie is going to be also living for revenge in trying to kill Abby herself. That is the cyclical way that you know that this is not just a theme. This is a controlling idea of the story. And that's the reason why this is so well woven together. And the last of us part two is so essential to the actual storytelling. Okay, that was a lot. I know I just <laughs> basically info dumped on like all my storytelling uh, like nerd dump. But like to for me, as far as analysis is concerned, that's the reason why this is so well woven together. It fulfills everything really well. And I don't know if he's it. I don't know if uh, Neil Bruckman has studied uh, the controlling idea or Robert McKee, but you don't need to study someone in order to come across these themes, these themes and these elements happen re- naturally in a lot of really amazing stories all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that's my shtick. That's my rant on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's my rant down part two. Yeah. I mean, oh man, I'm sad now that it's over. <laughs> it's we gotta, such a bummer. We got to, uh. We and we're going to be, you know, they might start filming stuff this year, but like it's, it's probably going to be at least, <clears throat> at least a year and a half until we get another season. And also there are so many good shows having their last season right now, like uh, Succession that's coming out in like a week or two that is on its last season. It's last season for Barry. <sighs> Harry's on his last season? Show. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I guess it's time for me to start watching and binging. I, there's too much TV. There, there, it, it, yeah, there really is. That's, I, it's like between TV and movies, there's just too much to watch. Yeah. I guess 
is this where we have to leave it? Is this where we have to leave The Last of Us for an undiscernible amount of time until we can talk about it again? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we can all kind of rest assured that whatever comes out after this is going to be amazing because this was like a almost perfect season of television. Um, and obviously, I'm not the only one who thinks that. It's like one of HBO's most viewed shows ever. People were really, really drawn to this story. And um, um, so I'm really excited to see what the yeah. next couple of seasons have in store. Well, we're just going to have to wait to find out. Anyway, if thank you so much for sticking around for this season of The Last of Us covered on the return of the show. I guess we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.